The title of the message uh, concerning First Fruits Offering is this, Giving Thanks for God's Provision. Giving Thanks. And just a reminder, a tithe, the tithe is 10% of our income. The offering is anything over and above it. So we have a First Fruits Offering that we're going to talk about. But anytime you give to the Lord or you give to somebody as the Lord leads, that is an offering to the Lord. That's over and above the tithe. This is something we've done since the church started. We started in August of 2018. And at the beginning of January, we feel like the Lord asked us to start giving this first fruits offering. I'm going to talk about today what it is and why we give it. I'm actually going to talk about two biblical offerings. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. We're going to talk about King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. How many of y'all knew that about him? He wrote... Um, 3,000, he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. You find those in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and other places. And he also wrote 1,000 songs. He was also an expert in, in biology. He was an expert in nature with animals and plants specifically. You can read, you can read the Bible and you'll see some of, his, um, some of his comments about nature. So he was the wisest man who ever lived. He was also known as the wealthiest man that ever lived. Just for context, Elon Musk is worth like $250 billion. Um, if we, if we um, include um, inflation and, you know, just we see how, we see how the money, um, how the cost, the cost of the money is different, Solomon today would have been worth $2 trillion. $2 trillion. Every year he got billions and billions of dollars that was given to him. Israel never experienced prosperity like they did under Solomon, not before and not since. So we're gonna. So I want you to keep that in mind. Second Chronicles one verse one, chapter one verse one. Solomon the son of David established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. So David, his dad, had just passed away and made Solomon king. The first thing Solomon did, which I'm going to skip through these verses and read, read uh, verse 6. The first thing Solomon did was he gathered all of Israel's leaders together um, at Gibeon. All of the, he says, it, the commanders of hundreds, commanders of thousands, all the judges and the heads of families. He brought them all together to Gibeon. I want you to look what he did. Look at verse 6. And Solomon went up there to Gibeon to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. How many of y'all know this story? I've heard this story. A few people. He says, ask what you want. He says, ask me what you want and I'll give it to you. Let me ask you, if God asks you, what do you want? I'll give it to you. What would you ask God for? I know some of y'all would ask for the Cowboys to win a playoff game, but that's another thing. <laughs> sorry, too soon. I'm sorry, too soon. If God asked you, what do you want? What would you ask for? Would you raise? Ask for your family to come to know the Lord? Ask for a bigger house, bigger car? What would you ask God for? Look what Solomon said. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Now, we know that. If you've heard this story before, you've heard that Solomon didn't ask for a new car, didn't ask for riches, didn't ask for honor. He asked for wisdom. 
But I think there's something that we miss, and it's something that I actually missed until I really studied this passage. This is what Solomon actually said. He said, God, I know you're asking me for something, Ask me, asking, me, uh, asking me for what I want. But right now, I'm not going to focus on me. I'm going to actually focus on the promise that you made to my father. What was the promise that God made to David? He said, because, David, you have honored me, and you wanted to build me a temple, and you have done, you've, you've been a man after my heart, I will always have a man on, on the throne who is from your family line. That was a promise that God made to, to David. So Solomon remembered that, and he said, you know what, God, thank you for giving me the permission to ask for whatever I want, but in this moment, I'm not going to think about myself. I want wisdom to govern this people so that your promise to David that a heir would always be on his throne would always be true. Give me wisdom, because I know that when kings do not walk in wisdom, you don't honor them and you take them away. So I want your promise to my father to be honored. You know what, David, what uh, Solomon said? He said, I'm not going to ask for something for myself. I'm going to ask something for my father for his legacy. I'm going to ask you a question. If God were to say, ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. Would you ask for something for yourself or for someone else? What would you, what would you ask for? Solomon, in this moment, did not ask for something for himself. Even though he was, he, um, was, it was his dad, and it was the same family, and he was the king, he said, God, I want your promise to David to always be true. So please give me wisdom to, to lead and guide these people. Look at God's answer to Solomon. Because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Man, that's amazing. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who ha kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Because Solomon gave a wise answer, a selfless answer, God also blessed him with everything else that he could have asked for. Now I want you to think about this. So because of his right answer. God gave him everything else. But what caused David in the first place to ask David? What caused God to ask Solomon in the first place? Hey, ask whatever you want. What was the reason? Because the question came after uh, the, the riches and the honor and the wealth came after Solomon's answer. So what caused God to give him that option in the first place? Let's go back and read. Look at verse 6. And Solomon went up there. Before the Lord, which is at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. I personally believe, and then it says, and then God appeared to Solomon in the night and asked him, what, Ask what I shall give you. I personally believe that God gave Solomon this wish, if you, if you will, because he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Now, you may not know what a burnt offering means or signifies, but there was a thousand of them, and a thousand's a lot. So it meant that Solomon was very serious about what he was doing. So I want to talk about that real quickly, what a burnt offering is. In the Old Testament, there are five types of offerings or sacrifices, and I think those will be on the screen. There's a burnt offering, a grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and trespass offering. The burnt offering was known as one of the more, more common offerings. So this is, uh, the burnt offering is one of the five offerings. The first burnt offering is found in Genesis 8. 
And just to summarize real quickly, Noah was the person who offered this offering. Remember, God flooded the world. He only saved Noah, his wife, and their sons and wives. As soon as Noah got off the ark, he got, it, doesn't say, it doesn't say that God asked him to do this. Noah did this on his own accord. He took some of the clean animals that were on the ark and put them on, on an altar and burned them up. Now, I was just, this is just me. But can you imagine some of those animals thinking, man, I'm glad we made it. Man, all my cousins, and man, they didn't make it. And just to come off and become a burnt offering. It's like, really, I, saved all, I survived all that just to be burned up. Um, but he, that's, that, that's just funny. That has nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with anything. Um, the Bible says that God saw the offering, smelled the aroma, and it pleased him. And then God made this promise, never again am I going to flood the world, am I going to destroy the world with a flood, right? And that we see, we see the rainbow in the sky, that which is, symbolizes that. But this is, this is the part I want you to, to, um, to hear. Noah received this blessing after he offered the burnt offering. That is what caused God to make that promise to him. Noah obtained God's favor because of the sacrifice. Now, here's a few things about burnt offering. I keep talking about that. The one, thing, the one thing that's different about the burnt offering than the other offerings is that the entire offering had to be burned up. There were other offerings where the priest or the person offering the sacrifice could eat some of the offering, but this specific offering had to be completely burned up. Also, the animal that was put on the altar had to be an a, um, a animal of high quality. It actually had to be unblemished. So as... I don't know how many of y'all like keep animals or raise animals, but some animals have no blemishes and some have a lot of blemishes. This animal had to be of high quality. It had to be a valuable animal. I was reading a commentary and it said that this animal had to be um, valuable enough to where it was beginning to earn its keep. It was going to be an animal that was either, you know, producing wool or, you know, giving milk or, or whatever. It was, it was a valuable animal that can make the person money. This is the type of animal that God required for a burnt offering, not, not um, something that was weak or something that they were going to throw away or give away. It was their best. Also, the offer himself had to kill the sacrifice. He had, what would happen is the person would put his hand on the animal, probably on the head, look it in the eyes, and cut its throat. That is how this offering had to be offered. We're going to come back to that. The burnt offering was a voluntary offering. There's, going back to those five offerings, you can, well, you can leave that on there. Two of the offerings were mandatory. Three of them were voluntary. This was a voluntary offering. They didn't have to do it. God asked them to do it, but it's not something that he required of them. What was the purpose of the burnt offering? This is the purpose. It served as an acknowledgement of a person's sinfulness and depravity. What does that mean? When the, animal, when the person came and put his hand on the animal, he would look him in the eyes and recognize that this animal was dying in his place. It was a type and shadow of, sac, of, a sac, of the sacrifice that Jesus himself uh, gave for us. So when we look at Jesus, we should recognize, hey, Jesus died in the place of us. He had no sin. There was no reason for him to be on, to be on the cross I should have been on the cross, but he did it. So whenever, whenever these people put their hand on, on, on the animal, they were supposed to connect with the animal. It was a personal, a very personal and intimate experience, a bloody experience. But it signified that this animal was standing or laying in their place, and that because of this animal sacrifice, they had access to God and his favor. 
It was very symbolic. It was not for a specific, and, and, and I've got to make this clear, it wasn't for a specific sin. This, the people that would offer this animal was not because they had just lied to their wife or just stolen something. It was a general offering, a general sacrifice that, that signified, hey, I, am, I, need, I need God, and it, it's not for a specific thing. I'm going to give this because I'm going to demonstrate to God that I need him, and I'm thankful for, my, for his favor and for my access to him. Here's, a, here's something I found I wanted to read. The burnt offering symbolized the Old Testament saint's faith in God and his intention to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. It was a volunteer offering, but it demonstrated a person's commitment to God. Now, let's go back to Solomon. When Solomon went to offer up this burnt offering, he knew all this. He had been raised to know the law. I'm sure he knew the Torah. So he knew exactly what he was doing when he offered up this burnt offering. He realized his depravity and his need for God to lead this people. He recognized, man, I can, I can, the text doesn't say this, but I can imagine because of his offerings that he thought, man, who am I to be king? I have a lot of other brothers that could have been king, but God chose me. I, I'm, I'm just a man. God, I need your favor. I need your acceptance in this moment. Before I even begin ruling over the kingdom, I need you. And he felt so strongly about it, he didn't just offer one burnt offering. He offered a thousand. So he felt that way times a thousand. So why did God ask Solomon, get, ask whatever you want? Because God knew what he was going to ask for. This is really important to hear. He knew what he was going to ask for because God saw Solomon's heart on display the night before, the day before. I feel like he said, you know what? This, this man who is now king is demonstrating his need for me times a thousand. If he's willing to give a thousand valuable animals from his own livestock to demonstrate his need, here is a man that I can trust with anything. God saw Solomon's heart and therefore said, ask whatever you want. Do you know God is waiting for us to change our hearts so that he can ask us, hey, what do you need from me? Many of us are not receiving things from God because our heart isn't right. There are sometimes people say, well, God sees my heart. God knows my heart. How many of you have ever heard that? God knows my heart. I would say, um, yes, but also we can see your heart because we see what you're doing, what you're saying. It's not completely true to say only God knows my heart. No, that's not true. What you say and what you do, anybody, well, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever had a spouse that was, you don't know my heart. Yeah, by what you say and what you do, I know what's in your heart. God saw Solomon's heart and said, you know what? He's going to ask for the right thing, and because I know he's going to ask for the right thing, I'm going to give him also everything else. This is also, this is not something Solomon had to do. This, is, this was not mandatory. Out of his heart, he said, God, I need you. I want to make clear, the burnt offering was not, is not, was not the first fruits offering. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. It was not the first fruits offering, but like any offering we give to the Lord, anytime we offer something to him, we always receive God's blessing in return. That was, that's the point of, the, of that story. Anytime we offer anything, and Solomon gave extravagantly, and God blessed him extravagantly. 
So what is the first fruits offering? The offering we're going to be giving next week and, or pledging next week is based on the biblical first fruits offering. This offering was a type of grain offering, the second one that was in that list. It wasn't exactly the same. It was offered a little differently, but it was a type of grain offering. God asked the Israelites when they came into the promised land to initiate this offering. And I want to read it. Verse 9 of Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. I like this because God is speaking this before they get into the promised land. Remember, um, they weren't able to enter into the promised land the first time. So the second time they're going in, God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give it to you. We may just focus on what he's asking, but he's saying, when you get there, when you come into this place that I promised to your forefathers, I want you to give the first part of the crop to me. This was the reason for the offering. It was the idea that the first of the grain, the first of the livestock belonged to God. And they're saying this. They're saying, so when we're, the Israelites said, God, we thank you that you have, you have caused our crops to go this pasture. We thank you that you've caused our livestock to produce their young and for our, our, our livestock to grow. Because you have blessed us, we're going to give you the first part, the first, um, first fruits of this back to you. And actually, um, this, there was actually, when they gave this, there was actually some fear that they probably encountered because what if their crops this next year didn't produce like they did last year? God was still asking them to give the first fruits. Or what if their young um, died or some of them died or they weren't able to, um, to, to give birth to other livestock? There was some fear or some trepidation at least that they would experience but God was still asking them to give the first fruits. And actually, they could not, they gave the first fruits of something that was already came into harvest, but they couldn't even eat of that until they gave the first fruits. That was kind of the idea. God said, when you come into the land that I'm going to give you, I don't want you to eat of the new grain or the new harvest or enjoy the benefits or the income of, this, of, the, of the livestock or the grain until you give the first fruits. But they also gave this first fruits offering with the anticipation that a greater harvest was going to come. That was part of it. Now, how does this biblical offering compare to ours? We, we, and I'll just say this up front, this is not a mandatory offering. This is not the tithe. You do not have to give this. But I believe the Lord has called kingdom to partner with him to give this. And what are we saying, God? We thank you for the provision that you have provided for in the past. And God, we thank you also for the provision that you're going to provide in the future. Therefore, we willingly are going to bring the first part of all this to you before we enjoy any of it. This is what we're doing with this first fruits offering. It's the beginning of the year. And I would remind you, I've said this all last year, and honestly, actually, I believe this is still, we're still entering into the promised land, right? How many, how many of you have heard me talk about the promised land? I think more than ever, this is appropriate for us to give God the first part of, of what he is asking of, of our, our resources to give back to him because I believe we're entering in. Now, I'm going to ask you, the, here's a question you may ask. Well, how much do I give? How much am I supposed to give? First, what, what, what is our vision? Hear his voice. I'm going to ask, just ask the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to give? And I will also say this, allow God to stretch your faith. Allow God to stretch and grow your faith to believe for more. Um, 
I'm just going to be kind of transparent with what I believe God asked me. I, um, a couple months ago, as I was kind of getting ready to go into this year, I was thinking about the first fruits offering, and I feel like the Lord said, I want you to give double of what you gave last year. I said, double. Okay, Lord, you know, last year was really hard. Um, okay, double. And then he kept, he kept um, saying, Josh, because he knew I was struggling, I feel like he asked me this. Josh, what if I told you to give double every year? I said, well, God, you know I couldn't afford that after a little bit. Wouldn't, I'd, my whole, my entire year check would have to go to that. He said, but what if I gave you the resources when the time came to be able to give double? Would you give it? And I said, well, yeah. He said, why don't you start believing me for it before it comes? You see, church, it doesn't matter how much money you have. God wants us to be all blessed, but he wants us to be blessed so that we can bless him and bless others. Money is not the problem. It's what, you, it's what you hold on to. I've given this analogy before, but I believe the Lord showed me this. He wants us to live with an open hand, that when he puts something in, he's also able to take it out. So that resources and finances just flow through our hand. And the truth is, the longer we keep our hand open and the more we allow him to take out of our hand, he said, just like Solomon, he's going to say, Hey, there's someone I can trust with a lot because he's giving a lot. God has given us an opportunity, I believe, to partner with him. I've seen God provide in big ways. This past year, one of the people of our church gave $5,000 to this first fruits offering. I talked with him at the end of the year. They were able to save $33,000. Now, of course, you think, well, what do they do? What do they make? Being able to save money, it doesn't matter how much you make, you have to have more than just wanting to do it. There has to be a supernatural, um, either discipline or even a supernatural thing. And actually, here's a, here's a personal story that kind of goes with that. I remember about five years ago, I was really starting to work out. Man, I was working out hard. I was um, trying, I was working out hard, trying to eat less. And man, I would be in the gym an hour and a half to two hours every day. And I just was not getting the results. And I was like, man, why am I not able to to look the way I want. I've been working out really hard. And the Lord said, Josh, because you have neglected spending time with me and instead of spent that time at the gym. He said, I have not been first. He said, you will not get the results you want at the gym until you start putting me first. I'm telling you, as soon as I started doing that, I started seeing the results I don't want to see. It's a principle. You don't just, you just don't save that much money. Ask them, did you save that much money last year? He said, no. It's a principle. When you put God first, he gives us the resources, but also the power and the strategies to get more. Why? So that we can give more. We don't, this process never stops. We receive so that we can continue to give. God blessed Solomon extravagantly when Solomon gave to the Lord extravagantly. I believe the Lord is wanting us to stretch our faith. Look at Proverbs 3, last verse, 3 verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I, I really debated um, ending the sermon by showing a testimony. And I went through a couple of, um, there's a few people that have really um, ministered to me and challenged me in this area and giving Pastor Robert Morris and Pastor Jimmy Evans. And I was watching a sermon by Pastor Jimmy and I wanted to show, but it was a little too long, but I wanted to share a little bit of what he said. He didn't grow up in church. 
he, he's a pastor. He's known for marriage. He's the one that puts on this marriage conference. And he's also known for um, end-time prophecy, but also giving. The Lord has asked these two men to give away um, everything at least one time. And they've given everything away. House, cars, money, everything. And God has blessed them because they're living with an open hand. And so he tells the story of when he first started to tithe, and he said he went to church, and he hated, he, didn't, he wasn't going to tithe. He's like, I wanted money. That was my dream, to make money. So to give money away didn't make any sense to him. And he said, um, his wife asked, said, hey, I really, I want to give $40 to the church. And he said, are you crazy? We're barely, we're floating. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We can't give $40. But the Lord worked on his heart. They gave $40, and they made it. They weren't going to be able to make it if they had given that $40. And this was like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And the next time, she's, he's like, thank God we survived that. I don't want to do that again. She asked him again, hey, I want to give another $40. And he's like, man, we survived that first crazy idea. Why am I going to give $40 again? Well, and then, okay, if you want to give it, give it. And he, and he said, I don't know what, how we did it, but we just kept giving. We kept giving, and we always had enough. And he said, I remember the first time I gave 10% of my income to the Lord. And he said, man, I, I feel like I was the most holy person giving 10% of my income to the Lord. And he said, I hated that preacher I, because he was coming against my dream of having money and having things. He said, but that man taught me about giving. And he said, it changed the course of my family forever. He said, giving broke the spirit the orphan spirit over my, my life and a, poverty, a spirit of poverty over my life. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to end with this. Giving is not for me. It's not for God. It's not for this church. It is for you. And the enemy wants to lie to us and say, well, what are they going to do with the money or this and that or you need the money or it's a strategy from the enemy to keep us from being blessed. The Lord... I'm not going to say what, but the Lord asked me to give away something very big today. And eventually I'll tell you, and it's a scary thing, but I, I've seen the Lord's hand on my life. Even more so after I started giving offerings, more than the tithe. I can tell you it is the most exciting thing, most rewarding thing you will ever, ever do. Jesus gave his son for us. We think we are the one that receives the blessing, but he gave it and saved the entire world. God's inviting all of us into that.